Hi everyone, this is Haley from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. In today's episode of Expert Answers, I talk to Ohio State University researcher Jennifer Petrosino. Through this Q&A session, she discusses her research and the mechanisms that regulate muscle growth and repair, and shares the easy-to-follow protocol and equations that she uses for cardiometabolic phenotyping. Let's get started. Okay, so our first question today, is acclimation needed? And if yes, why? Chris, maybe you can start with this one and then we can ask Jen to share a little bit from her experience. Yeah, typically acclimation uh, for any experiment really involves taking the animals into the room for about 30 minutes or longer to acclimate to the new environment. But then of course, putting them in a treadmill is a novel environment. Mice, of course, don't instinctively know what a treadmill is. It's a novel environment and the floor is moving. What do I do? So it takes them some time to explore, figure out what's going on, see what the chakra is like, things like that. Jen might have some other input as to the effect of acclimation and what happens if you don't acclimate, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely found that it's significantly important to include acclimation. I've heard many researchers have access to metabolic treadmills talking about they have situations where the mice will run to the top of the treadmill and then just roll back into the shot grid. And I think a lot of times in a test that comes from not properly acclimating the mouse to understanding like what the actual shock will feel like, how to move their locomotion patterns, instinctively being on an incline and things continuously getting faster is not something mice, as Chris alluded to, have ever really experienced. So they really need that time to get that locomotion pattern done in that closed chamber with the you know, nice encouragement of a shock grid behind them. So that way you can continue that test. Because if you do get into a situation where the mice are rolling back, it will have an effect on those graphs, how the RAR peaks, how the VO2 max peaks. Our next question is actually one that came in from registration. And the person would like to hear a bit of a discussion between or a comparison between VO2 max and lactate thresholds, given that lactate threshold is more challenging to measure in animals. Jen, do you have any suggestions for this measurement to combine with VO2 max in rodents? Yeah, so first off, uh, to my knowledge, I don't think we can actually calculate lactate threshold during testing. And that's because uh, in a human, when you calculate lactate threshold or you do a lactate test, as they're running on the treadmill, you're taking continuous finger prick and then measuring with a lactate meter. Because of the way the indirect telemetry system works in the mice, uh, they're in an enclosed chamber. And if we were to unseal it to perform a tail prick and collect lactate measures, we would uh, lose our telemetry data. It would no longer be a secure circuit. So we can't calculate that information per se. We also can't calculate another surrogate measure of, because at the end of the day, lactate threshold is just telling you when you are somewhat shifting from aerobic to anaerobic metabolism. Another measurement of that is ventilatory threshold. And in humans, because with exercise testing, we're measuring gas exchange at the ventilation level every breath because our uh, measurement level is like literally coming from a face mask and the mice is coming from that every 15 second sampling. So we can't per se calculate ventilatory threshold, but we can calculate anaerobic threshold by using and plotting out every 15 second interval RER measurement in the mouse and saying, okay, where do we shift from slowly increasing our point of anaerobic threshold? And so I think it's important. So instead of saying, you know, 
what can we calculate from lactate threshold and VO2 max? I think we can say, okay, we can calculate anaerobic threshold in mice and we can calculate VO2 max. And they can both be values that can calculate it from the same test. They're both great pieces of information, although slightly different. VO2 max is going to tell you about maximum oxygen consumption. And that is increased in things like increasing muscle mass, increasing fitness levels. And then uh, anaerobic threshold is a slightly different piece of information that tells us, you know, how long are we aerobic in a test before switching to anaerobic metabolism and in conditions of dysfunction, you know, that shift is occurring much sooner in animals. And so, you know, by finding at that point, we can, you know, deduce a whole separate set of parameters about the fitness and function of that animal. And so I think that those two values should and can be collected together and analyzed together. But it's important to remember they're different because let's say the purpose of your exercise testing in the mice was to, you know, increase the aerobic fitness, let's say, of this mouse. Well, then you would be tracking over time, you know, what point am I tested aerobic? My what, what time in that test did I shift over from aerobic to anaerobic metabolism? And did that change later? And that's when you would use that AT value versus, you know, am I globally increasing the fitness of mouse and looking at the VO2 max level, which we talked about VO2 max is affected by many things, heart rate, stroke volume, and AVO2 difference. So I think it's important to, like, if we directly look at the question, I think it's important to note that at this time, Measuring lactate threshold in animals it's in an indirect chemistry chamber is not a feasible measurement, although we can measure something similar like anaerobic threshold. We can measure VO2max, and they're both information pieces that can be measured from the same test. I think they're important information pieces, slightly different, but still closely related. And so, you know, I think they're definitely something that should be collected hand in hand, and it's definitely that something that's doable relative to lactate threshold, which not so much. Okay. Can VO2 max information be used to create a long-term training program for mice? And if so, what kinds? Yeah, I think I think you can definitely use that information too. Uh, so if you're looking to like increase the endurance of a mouse or the power output of a mouse, you can decide to train at different percentages of that VO2 max, or you can even use that anaerobic threshold information and train at like different points and anaerobic threshold to elicit specific responses. And I think that's why information like anaerobic threshold and VO2 max and determining it from the first time you're testing these animals. Acclimation is super important for people who are looking to perform long-term exercise protocols in mice because just like people, every mouse is an individual responder. And so if you're really hoping to have a tightly controlled study, rather than just saying every mouse ran on the treadmill at 10 meters per minute and 5% incline for like four weeks, and then this was the response, if you really would want to keep your data as controlled as possible, you can be training these animals at a percentage of each is VO2 max or you know, calculating a specific workload based on the mouse's starting fitness. And then in terms of like what, you know, what type of programs, it really at that point is up to whatever your experiment wants to study. Do you want to increase the endurance of the mouse? Do you want to increase the power? And so by having VO2 max information and anaerobic threshold information, you really can just design appropriate programs. And uh, because the test in mice is so similar to humans, I mean, you can really go off of ACSM recommendations for, you know, training off of your two maxes or certain med equivalents. That's, that's great. And oh, this is a good question. Why take measurements every 15 seconds or less during testing instead of every minute? 
I really, really what we're trying to emulate here is breath by breath analysis. The human's wearing a mask, the mouse is not. And when you get that data density from a human, it's easy to make these calculations. But if you're getting uh, breeding every minute and the test is only 12 minutes, you've only got 12 data points on your graph and you really can't glean any meaningful information out of that. So making as many measurements as fast as possible is the key to getting good measurements on this test. Uh, the more data points you have, the, the more, well, the more information you have, you can see your crossover points better. You know exactly when you hit your VO2 max. It's not a sort of a slushy curve or a bike ramp that kind of gradually reaches the max. You get a definite point. So the more data points you have, the easier it is to identify those key events. That makes a lot of sense. Can VO2 max be measured in a running wheel? Maybe, probably not. Problem with the running wheels is voluntary. Find very few mice that will push themselves to the extent that you need to on a treadmill in order to actually achieve VO2 max. Compounding this problem is that uh, a lot of running wheel systems that are in calorimeters are multiplex calorimeters. They're not uh, continuous monitoring. So that as the single set of gas sensors goes through cage to cage to cage to cage, the mouse gets on and starts running. The chances that you're scanning that cage at the point that this mouse has hit VO2 max is very, very difficult to do. It's just random chance. It's not very repeatable. And while it might happen, it might be a curiosity. It's definitely no way to go about organizing a test because you've only got so much time. Jen, we're going to go back to this back to this one for you. I know you touched a little bit on it in your presentation, but can you maybe talk a little bit more specifically about how to modify these tests for animals with impairments, i.e. very old, you know, obese, etc.? I think I think it's important to know. So in the clinic, there are people who can't perform normal graded maximal exercise tests. They they need some sort of modification. And in the clinic, they're able to modify maximal exercise testing protocols. I think it's important to know that, you know, the same can be achieved in an animal, let's say, where they're so large, they can barely move in the treadmill or they're so old that they're having some sort of locomotion issues. You can create less intense protocols for these animals that still have progressive increases in inclination and speed. And it's important to make a modification because you you can't really acquire any information if your test isn't going at least eight minutes. It becomes so short that you can't create those nice graphs where you're determining points of, you know, clear you know, anaerobic threshold and clear VO2 max because if the workload just increases so fast for these animals that they, they can't go you know, you're losing a lot of valuable data. So if, if that becomes an issue, we found that the best thing to first try to manipulate is to not allow the inclination to go over 5%. And so because the older systems, I think in the newer systems, you can have smaller inclination jumps, but I know for sure with the older systems, it was only uh, five degree changes. So five, 10, 15, 20, 25, um, not going above 5% inclination and just gradually increasing the speed seems to be a nice sweet spot for animals that really struggle with those large changes in inclination. On the counter, you can always also perform a test where you have, let's say, smaller jumps and speed changes and then still increasing the inclination. So I think uh, it's just important to note that like you, if you're not in that sweet spot of eight to 12 minutes, you really lose valuable phenotyping information. And so if your mice fall into that category, you know, modifying that is something that's totally doable. And if anyone needs access to the protocols, they're more than welcome to email me and I can send over the modified versions that have worked well for us.
Great. Let's see here. Can the system work along with telemetry? Chris, maybe this, you can tackle this one. It can, and it sort of can. There's engineering obstacles to overcome, and then there's real-life obstacles to overcome. Telemetry-wise, in the engineering department, what we have are – the main obstacle you have is noise. The electrical noise from the motor can interfere with the radio signal from the uh, transmitter. Uh, additionally, we have a lot of static. Uh, this belt rolling on the rollers and over the platform that the animals run on creates a lot of static, which is another source of radio frequency noise. There are some things we can do to get around this. Uh, typically, the static noise we get from the belt isn't too much to interfere with many of the readings from the more popular uh, models of telemetry. The motor noise is something else that we can tackle by uh, remote. Uh, remote mounting uh, the motor, moving it further away from the animal or shielding it using a metal shield so that the electrical noise doesn't penetrate uh, through to the animal. Uh, but in real life, the transmitter is an issue. They're surgically implanted and the size of the transmitter and where it goes is of key importance because some of the transmitters out there are very, very large. If they have batteries in them or something like that, they take up a lot of space. They're mostly implanted in the abdomen. Notice the animal running on the belt, they're dragging their abdomen along as they run. And if they've got a large transmitter in there and their belly's touching the belt, we're applying a belt sander to a surgical wound, which is not good. Uh, also, the transmitter cannot be so large that it impedes the natural running motion of the animal or they won't be able to hit VO2 max. So you won't be able to get the animal to perform the way you need them to perform. So it can be done, but it has to be thoughtfully done. You have to have a very small transmitter and this sometimes means making some compromises on the data that you can collect because the smaller transmitters don't collect as many parameters as the larger ones. So that's the compromise you have to make there. And in the interest of time, we are going to make this last question or this next question, rather our last one. So this person has said, I have a multi-animal calorimeter already. Can I measure VO2 max in multiple animals at once? Chris, do you want to start? And then Jen, maybe you can chime in with some experience. Maybe, probably not. That's really two questions. Can you measure VO2 max in multiple animals? Uh, yes, yes, you can. Can we do it with what your current multiple animal calorimeter? Probably not. Uh, the overwhelming majority of multi-animal calorimeters are multiplex systems. And the problem with the multiplex systems and animals on treadmills is that they all start running at the same time. They all hit their crossover points at about the same time. They all hit their VO2 max at about the same time. But since the sensor is shared amongst the group of animals, it can only be measuring one of the subjects at any given instant. And then complicating this is every time it switches animals, it takes a significant amount of time to purge the previous animal's air from the sensor pathway so that we know that the air that's in the oxygen and CO2 sensor is from this animal, not the previous animal. And that wastes a lot of precious time. This is a short test. Uh, you know, we can't spend 75% of it purging samples. So the only way to really get VO2 max in multiple lanes is to do continuous measurements. Now, there are other people out there that have continuous measuring systems. And in those cases, if your existing system is continuous sampling, yes, yes, you can do VO2 max in the system that you have. Otherwise, uh, you might either have to upgrade or replace depending on the age of the system. Jen, did you have anything to add? I feel like that's actually just a really great job of, you know, answering that question. You know, I, at the end of the day, like you said, yes, you can measure VO2 and multiple at once. I think that to reduce operator error and human error, even though Columbus Instrument devices I found have like, especially the newer stuff really helps so that way you don't have many issues because a lot of things have become auto automated. The most accurate when you're doing one at a time because it's hard to get everybody stopping at the same exact time. So it's kind of exactly what Chris said. 
<laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, thank you both so much for your insights today in your presentation and in this very engaging Q&A session. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.